What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrero. With me, as always, is Levin Black. Levin, welcome to episode number 45 of the Gold Standard Podcast. That's the Brandon Jacobs edition, or if you prefer, <laughs> Zach Kesey, whoever you like. So, Brandon Jacobs, so you've been warned that this is going to be a bloated, slow podcast. <laughs> we're going to circle around our points instead of getting directly to it because we don't know that we're six foot four and like 250 pounds. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That that sums up Brandon Jacobs trying to be like Le'Veon Bell. The NFL throwback Twitter account, I think, recently just posted like a bunch of his highlights. And even on his highlights, his first move is always lateral. It's never just hitting the whole heart. He always goes like bounces it left or right and then gets going upfield. That had to be maddening as a Giant fan. Yeah, I can only imagine like that that guy had a ton of potential. I think he could have been a really good runner. I mean, physically he he was a bit of a freak, but he was somebody that thought he was a ballerina instead of a like you said, massive running back. <laughs> it's a mountain, but oh well. All right, that's enough about a former giant running back <laughs> who played one year with the Niners. Uh we got a lot to get to on this ish, this uh edition actually. Weird things started happening like right before we recorded the Flying Coach podcast with Peter Schrager and Sean McVay came out, and their guest this week was Kyle Shanahan. So I was feverishly trying to squeeze that in so that we could talk about it before we recorded this show. Joe Staley's been doing quite a bit of talking about the Super Bowl and his possible future on the 49ers coaching staff. We're going to get to that. Uh, as Kyle Shanahan and Aka- uh, Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Posey and Akash Anavarathan talked about yesterday. Nikhil Harry wants out. That was someone the 49ers had some interest in, so we're going to get to that. And uh, also, I tweeted something earlier this week that sort of blew up, and I people were getting mad at me and reacting, and so we'll get into all of that as well. First up, Levin, how are you doing? I know you're in vehicle negotiations, <laughs> which is always very stressful. Uh, I don't really find him stressful. Imagine that, me being even killed and not <laughs> emotional. Uh, negotiations are over. I just had to come home because my wife uh, was a co-owner of the truck I'm trading in. So she had to sign, but we have a one-year-old and she had an appointment at noon. So she wasn't able to come down to the dealership to sign. So I brought the documents back, but the negotiating is over. And uh, this is how emotional I was. Granted, I'm coming off a night shift and I haven't slept because I went to the dealership when they opened, but uh, I went upstairs to sign the paperwork and the finance person said, are you excited? And I said, no, I'm not really that type of guy. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to have you with me when I was buying a car. You are like the perfect person that I would bring with me. And I wouldn't answer any questions directly from the dealer. I would always defer them to you. You have to speak to my associate, to my representative. Mr. Black will take care of you. Now you want my brother, really? Because it's kind of funny because in regular day life, my brother is diplomatic. He's not as abrasive. And I'm definitely like somebody like, if I don't like what you're doing, you're going to know. I'm going to speak up. But when it comes to negotiating like that, like a car or anything like that, my brother is a complete ass. And will <laughs> like just get up and walk, you know. And, and whereas I'm more like, I wouldn't say diplomatic, but I'm nicer. And I don't want to sit and argue with somebody like, screw that. Just get down to the bare bones of it. If I don't like it, I'll walk. But like my brother, literally, when he bought a brand new car, he went to a couple dealerships, argued back and forth, got them way talked down, but wanted a, he was buying new. He wanted a vehicle that was on another dealership's lot 
Mm-hmm. And he's, he told the last dealership, like, I'm going to go buy that vehicle. I liked it. I liked their options more. And he said, how about this? We'll buy that vehicle from them and take $300 off. And he said, okay. So he literally had one dealership buy another dealership's brand new vehicle and sell it to him cheaper. <laughs> I don't know much about buying a car. That's that's an impressive job. I have heard that, like, if you're, let's say you're going to buy, like, a Subaru, that if you want to get the dealership to, like, work with you a little bit, you're they're not in competition with, like, Toyota and Honda. They're actually more in competition with other Subaru dealerships. And right. that's sort of how you play them against each other to get what you want. Yeah, I mean, the basic principle is you got to be willing to stand up and walk out. Not all dealerships are going to deal with you. So you cannot go in with a mindset of that's the vehicle I want because then you're going to do whatever they want. You got to be willing to stand up and walk away. And I walked away like I've been to five different dealerships with trade-ins and I had one dealer. I have 48 years of experience, blah, 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 and came to my offer and he offered, you know, a decent amount, but I, I wanted a little bit more for my trade-in. And I said, no. And he literally got all mad at me. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, you know, like a year ago, that was $3,000 less, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah. And I said, the times are the times, though. And I'm going to maximize my value. And I got up and walked away because he pissed me off. Like, don't blow up in my face. <laughs> Next week on Life Advice Podcast, <laughs> we'll talk about refinancing your home. No. All right, let's get to some football here. Um, I was listening to that Flying Coach podcast with Kyle Shanahan. There was a bunch of good stuff in there. To be honest with everybody, I haven't even finished it yet because it's almost two hours long. It's pretty cool because Kyle seems kind of relaxed because he's talking with Sean McVay, who's a good friend, and Schrager does a good job of just kind of getting out of the way and letting them go. The biggest thing that jumped out to me was that clearly Kyle thought that they were in on Stafford and that they were close on Stafford, which it was kind of crazy in the show because Sean McVay just flat out brings it up out of nowhere and just says, hey, Kyle, what did you think about this? Well, wouldn't you? You like to rub your friend's noses in it when you beat That's them. That's true. So. So Shanahan basically said like that they were in the negotiations and he was kind of told at one point, like, Hey, chill out for the rest of the night. Like nothing's going to happen. You you know, you can go out to eat or whatever. We'll pick it up tomorrow and that'll be fine. So he was like, all right, good. And then he got a call a little bit later from somebody that was like, look, if you want Stafford, you got to get a hold of him now. And he didn't and they couldn't and the deal was done. But you could just tell by the way Kyle was talking about it that it was a punch in the gut. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. I don't know if the portion you listened to highlighted this, um, but I saw Peter Schrager was on uh, Pat McAfee's show and he kind of spelled it out a little bit better. Um, so the situation was McVeigh, um, Stafford, a couple of D- other Detroit people, I think Stafford's agent even, maybe. Um, a couple of other people were there, but they were all staying in the same resort in Cabo at the same time while all of this is going down. So literally McVeigh and Stafford are in the same hotel. Two minutes down the road was Kyle Shanahan. He didn't stay in right. the same place. <laughs> so he almost definitely missed out because he was staying in the wrong hotel because it seems like McVeigh, you can call it tampering because technically it would be, but it seems like he had some one-on-one time with Stafford. And it was like, all right, this guy's in, I'm in, we're going to make it happen. And they made it happen. Like, it, that seems to be what happened, which is technically tampering. 
that's what I want to know is how did everybody forget forget the same resort, which that's crazy too. How did they all end up in Cabo at the same time? Does like the NFC West just say, all right, we're going to go to Cabo this week and everybody goes down there? Like, what is the deal? I don't know. Isn't that where uh, Ezekiel Elliott went? Like, that yep. seems to be like the NFL place to go. So, I don't know. They must cater to NFL players or, or something there. But, yeah, I think it's kind of funny that McVeigh brought it up because it definitely seemed to me like he was wanting to rub Kyle's nose in it. Like, ha, 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 let me bring up this topic that's <laughs> a sore subject for you. And Kyle admitted that he did a deep dive into Stafford when he heard that he was going to become available. And he mentioned all the good things about him, his arm, how smart he is, how he is at play action. Like, he wanted him clearly. And I know that, you know, a friend of ours, Javi Vega, took a lot of crap on Twitter because he said that the 49ers were very close to Stafford. And obviously, it didn't end up happening. But clearly, when you listen to this podcast, Kyle Shanahan wanted it to happen. And he told McVeigh on the show that if they had been staying at the same resort and the Rams had made the deal, that Kyle was going to be in a bad mood and they would have had to ask him to leave. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's some retribution there for uh, Javi. It seems like he was correct that the Rams came out of nowhere and it came together, you know, lickety split. Like just they came out of nowhere and closed the deal before Kyle could counter or really get involved, which that to me points to one big thing like if Detroit knew other teams were interested why did they pull the trigger and it to me from what they said at the time the trade went down it's because they actually believe in Jared Goff as laughable as that is (laughs) they wanted Jared Goff that's what it comes down to in my opinion they wanted Jared Goff instead of Jimmy Garoppolo and whatever else other teams were offering they thought that golf is truly the future and so they're able to keep a future quarterback and gain some draft capital and that's why the lions are the lions the other thing that that i took from this levin is that clearly the 49ers plan was not trey lance from the beginning we're going to draft trey lance and that's going to be it they did what i think a lot of the good organizations do which is they adapted to the situation The plan at first was probably Stafford. Because remember, Stafford got traded before the playoffs were over. Like, that's how fast this whole thing happened. So I think the 49ers went into the offseason saying, we need a quarterback. We cannot have another year where guy gets hurt and we're scrambling all around with second string, third string. Like, we can't do that. So they were like, all right, we need a quarterback. Stafford was the first one that became available. They checked it out. They decided they were in on it. Okay, that didn't work out. What are we going to do now? Now let's start looking ahead to the draft. They looked at the guys in the draft, and then you know what they realized? Hey, Lance is the guy we want, and we're going to have to move up to get him. So then they start working on that deal. Because remember, Kyle was dreaming up plays for Lance in February. So, you know, then once they moved up and they were in position to get Lance, what happened? The Aaron Rodgers thing pops up the day of the draft. They're calling Green Bay to investigate that situation. So there never was like, we've decided on this in January and we're doing it and that's our plan. They are investigating and evolving as the offseason goes along, which I think is a good sign because to me that seems like a good process. Yeah, and I agree with everything you said other than I think that your timeline was a little bit off. I think Kyle said it was early January when their season was over that he first looked at Lance and decided that they should try to trade up and get him. But I do think that they weren't going to go all in in a draft move like that until they saw what veterans came available. So they kind of decided Trey Lance is the guy if we go the draft route. 
Mm-hmm. That's before fair. everything else. And then, you know, when Stafford came out, you know, Kyle said in that that uh, that Stafford's a little bit underrated because he thought, you know, Stafford's just kind of a guy. And that was the rep he had in his head of Stafford. But he decided to do his due diligence and look a little bit at film while on vacation, not expecting to truly pursue it, but saw on film stuff that he thought, no, this is really the guy we need to pursue it. And literally sacrificed his vacation to try to get Stafford and then had the rug pulled out from him from what it seems like. And so that that's interesting to hear how that went down. I always like hearing about like sort of the things that didn't happen or almost happened because I feel like there's always really good stories behind the scenes. Um, another story that Kyle told on the show, and this was interesting, he was talking about uh, when he was interviewing in before the 2017 season when he was interviewing for head coaching jobs. Apparently he was in this hotel or this uh, apartment and he was waiting to do interviews and he had just finished an interview with the Jaguars. He got back to where he was staying and he, he was exhausted, he said. So he needed to take a nap. He had like a half hour before the Niners were coming for the interview. And so what he decided to do was take a nap. And he said he would leave himself 10 minutes to get dressed and, you know, wake up and look presentable for when the 49ers came to town. Well, apparently he slept for a lot more than 10 minutes because he woke up when he heard the door on the car the 49ers were in close. That's how he woke up. Literally, the Niners arrived at the apartment. And he said the only thing that saved him was he was on the third floor at the time. So literally... Jed York is walking up the stairs to this apartment where Kyle Shanahan is, and he's in his boxers, and he has to throw his suit on and splash some water on his face and, like, get himself together as the 49ers are coming to the apartment where Kyle Shanahan is, and that was literally how he started the interview with the team. So you're saying Kyle excelled in an unscripted way. (laughs) (laughs) See, he was destined to have a running quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I mean, those are all interesting tidbits. There's uh, the amount of info that we know about and, you know, know that this happened or this conversation took place is literally a tiny little speck in a mountain of info. There are nonstop conversations between GMs, coaches, different things going on behind the scenes. You know, it's why you ever once in a while see reports up when a team is wanting a good pub of a bunch of teams interested, they go, Oh, this team has discussed a trade with this team. All it is is a GM calling and saying, you know, like like uh, John Lynch's call. Hey, would you t- trade Tom Brady? No, click. Well, technically, <laughs> you can say they've had negotiations on a trade. You know, it's true trade talks. I I would love to know of like what offers have Kansas City gotten for Patrick Mahomes? Because you know, some teams have called it. Hey, hey, uh, we'll offer you the number one pick for Patrick Mahomes. You know. Can't hurt to try. Yeah, like there are conversations that take place all the time like that that we never, ever know about. And I wish we could because I I always find all that stuff fascinating. I'm going to bring it full circle here. You ready? This is going to be great. Teams and GMs constantly kicked the tires on trade offers. See? See? Aha! Tied in the whole truck talk and trading in (laughs) vehicles from the beginning of the show. See? It mattered. There you go. Look, that's why you're a professional. Let me just tell you. That's Speaking why I'm of the talent. Oh God. Speaking <laughs> of Trey Lance, Levin, I'm getting worried, and I've been worried. Michelle Majuk has been trying to like reassure me that everything's fine with Trey Lance. He's going to sign his deal, and you know, not to worry. I'm overreacting. 
in my Twitter DMs, you can see multiple messages from her, like trying to calm me down. And yet I keep seeing these names tick off the board in the first round. Trevor Lawrence signed his deal. Justin Fields signed his deal. Now Mac Jones has signed his deal with the Patriots. As we record this, I believe the only two first round quarterbacks left unsigned are Zach Wilson, who was taken second, and Trey Lance, who was taken third. I'm scarred from the Michael Crabtree holdout from a few years ago, Levin. Talk me down. I don't know if this is going to talk you down, but the reason I'm not overly worried about it is worst case scenario, he holds out, and that means Jimmy has to start the season. Like, we still have a competent quarterback to turn to if Trey Lance decides to hold out. But I don't see any way in hell he holds out. I think Zach Wilson is more likely because it's Zach Wilson's job. Trey Lance has to earn the job. You're not going to earn a job by sitting out of training camp as a rookie quarterback. You know, it's a little bit different when, you know, a wide receiver can run routes. If he can run routes, he can run routes. If he's fast, he's fast. They can hold out and get up to speed relatively quickly. So that would be the Michael Crabtree situation. A quarterback, if you hold out in training camp as a rookie, you're not starting the year. You're not starting that whole year, probably. Not just the beginning. You're going to be too far behind, and you're probably going to piss off the coach to the point that when they have a competent starter like Jimmy Garoppolo, he's going to stick with them unless he's forced to switch. That is the only thing that is preventing a full-blown freakout from me is that like, I think Kyle wants to give Trey Lance the job. He's looking for yeah. a reason to do it. And yeah, I, if you're not there because you're holding out for a contract, like one, you're going to be behind and then you, you are going to piss off Kyle Shanahan because Kyle wants guys that are football junkies, so to speak. And that's not the way to go about that. So I'm hoping that eventually gets done. Like we said, we still have, you know, what is it like 24 days, something like that till the start of training camp when they report on July 27th. Uh, so there's still a lot of time to get this done. I just I'm sweating like nothing is done until it's done. That's one lesson that I have learned in life, whether it's a job offer, whether it's any negotiation at all. Yeah, things should happen. They probably will happen. Nothing is done until the paperwork is signed and Lance still isn't signed. And until he is, I'm still going to have a little bit of agita. I'm not worried because this has been, I think, the Niners M.O. with their big contract negotiations. They always tend to be a little bit slower and then they come out and everybody's happy. Like, you know, the the Kittle talk went around for a long time people are like oh he might hold out oh this isn't going well they're not coming to his terms and then it ended up getting done in plenty of time there's other examples besides that they they always seem to get the deal done i'm not really worried the only bad one in recent history is michael crabtree but recent history that's what 10 years ago now that's a couple cbas ago too i believe so right so i'm not really worried all right I feel a little bit better. Although- I mean, at, at this point with the NFL rules, you know, you brought up CBAs. With the NFL rules, there's not much Trey Lance can demand. That's why I'm like, why isn't this thing done yet? Because he's too busy practicing. I, I truly, <laughs> if I had to put a wager on why it's not done, it's because Trey Lance doesn't care to get it done yet. He's too busy trying to get the playbook down. He doesn't want to worry about the contract and all that crap. Yeah, well, he's and figures he'll show himself. up and he's got an agent. Right, but he still has to sign it, and he might be busy and say, look, I'll be, okay, you know, they could literally have come to terms already, and Trey Lance is just saying, you know, I'll come down and do it at some point before training camp. I just want to get it done. Just get it done, and then I can sleep better. All right, well, call up your buddy Trey Lance, you know, you interviewed him, say, hey, I can't sleep at night. Will you go sign your contract? I'll send you a bottle of ranch to put on your pizza. There we go. I, I will get it done. 
I'll hit up Trey Lance. Why didn't I think of that sooner? Just call Trey Lance and ask him. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's take a break after we visit crazy town. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about a possible number three wide receiver option for the 49ers and Joe Staley doing an awful lot of talking about the Super Bowl. And could he possibly end up on the coaching staff? All that and more when we come back. We're back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. Levin, it's no secret that the Niners need another wide receiver, preferably a number three wide receiver. They like a big slot guy. We saw them fill that role with Kendrick Bourne. And now Nikhil Harry of the New England Patriots, former first round pick, has demanded a trade. He wants out of New England. I don't know that New England particularly cares that he's demanding a trade, but this is someone that uh, Kyle and Akash said on their show yesterday that the Niners were heavily interested in uh, when he came out in 2019. He probably could be very, very cheap. Do you want to see the Niners take a flyer on Nikhil Harry? Yeah, at the right price. Obviously, I'll come down to price. But I would trade a fourth-round pick. Wow. For Nikhil Harry. I would trade a fourth. What does a fourth get? It's not that valuable. But the potential with Nikhil Harry is big. Kyle Shanahan loved him. And on top of that, the Niners have a connection that no other team has. Brandon Ayuk was his teammate in 2018 at Arizona State. If Brandon Ayuk signs off and says, yes, go get him. Like, I think he was a great teammate. He doesn't have problems. He has a great work ethic. You know, he has insight into how hairy is behind the scenes, you know, at practice, things like that. And if he signs off on it, then why not? You have a, you have somebody that Shanahan loved. You have somebody that could come pre- pretty cheap because it's just a mid-round pick. And you have somebody who has a teammate on the team that can, one, help him along and can tell you what type of practice player he is and how dedicated he truly is and kind of squash your concerns of maybe it's a guy that just isn't dedicated. The interesting thing for me, and again, it all, I agree, comes down to price as long as you don't have to give up too much to get him. This is how I look at it. The Niners need a number three wide receiver. They got a lot of guys in the bucket, right? Richie James is there as a possibility. I know many People listening to this show are hoping that Jalen Hurd emerges as that guy. Jawan Jennings, maybe, if he can stay healthy and come back. Now you throw Nikhil Harry into that mix, Levin. I like the odds that out of that mix, somebody will emerge. I don't know who it's going to be, but I got to just feel like playing the odds that unless the 49ers are completely horrible at evaluating the wide receiver position, one of those people would be good enough to be the number three wide receiver. You know, it'd be kind of funny if the Niners do get Harry. It uh, means that literally they swapped receivers because Kendrick Bourne right. was signed by the Patriots. So it's literally they're going, OK, you can have Bourne. We'll take care. You know, that's essentially what the situation is. And that would be kind of humorous. And I think the other thing that may be running through Kyle's head is Harry is not like a burner. He's not a separator. What he reminds me of basically is like Debo Samuel, very similar type of player who's not, you know, not known for his speed, but really, really good with the ball in his hands, good in space, good on the run. Maybe in the back of Kyle's mind, he's like, you know, we can't rely on Debo to play all 16 games, but if we had Nikhil Harry who could fill that role, if, if uh, Debo gets hurt, we're okay. You know, Kyle, I feel like a big thing for him is like, just keep the train moving. We can't get derailed by injuries. And I feel like their plan now is almost, we know these guys are going to get hurt. We just have to build in redundancies. To me, if they get somebody like Harry and he's uh, better at the out routes, the post routes, things like that, I would slide Debo inside to the slot because what does Debo excel at? He excels at those short yardage, quick, 
slants across the middle type of routes that the slot normally runs. Like I could see it being Harry Norman plays on the outside and Debo is a heavily featured slot. I mean, you got plenty of teams where their slot receiver is the receiver on the team and goes for a hundred plus catches. Now that Debo is going to get a hundred plus catches, but you know, just because he's the slot and not technically the starter doesn't mean Debo couldn't put up big numbers and be a massive focal point for the offense. That's an interesting point that I hadn't thought of. I, look, I just want it to work, man. I don't care where you're putting them. Just get in there and work. Let's see these guys on the field and see what they actually have. I still don't know how many games Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk have all had together, especially with the starting quarterback. I think it's like less than five. I'm pretty sure it's only like one or two when you factor in the quarterback. Because I think it's around five with those three receivers. But when you factor in the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo was injured all last year, I think it's like one or two. That's unbelievable to me. So, uh, yeah, let's hope that that works itself out. We'll see what happens with the Nikhil Harry thing. I just want to point out, too, by the way, that when the Patriots drafted Harry, DK Metcalf was on the board. Debo was on the board. Terry McLaurin was on the board. Hideous job by the New England Patriots. (laughs) Absolutely hideous. They've never been good at drafting wide receivers. And I know that Bill Belichick is a great coach, and he is. I don't think he's a very good GM, and I think there's a tendency to just assume that whoever the Patriots pick up is going to be good because they win a lot, and that has not been the case. Somebody on Twitter, because I I posted saying, you know, I would go after Harry, and somebody replied, like, he hasn't done anything. He's not worthwhile. And I made the point of, other than Randy Moss and God mode for those couple of years, (laughs) what outside receiver has ever put up big stats for the Patriots that offense features the slot. They are the offense, I would argue, in the NFL that is the slot receiver feature because you you went from you know Wes Walker to uh, Edelman, and before that you even had guys like Troy Brown slid into the slot quite a bit when he put up some numbers. So that offense is not one where the outside receiver can excel unless they're Randy Moss and nobody is physically. I am not shedding any tears for the New England Patriots. That is for sure. Uh, One other thing I wanted to get to was Joe Staley. Apparently, he's been hanging out with Kyle Shanahan. You saw him in the video of Shanahan throwing the ball across the street into the pizza oven. That Joe Staley was there hanging out. And apparently, Staley has said on 95.7 The Game that Kyle has been talking to him about a position on the coaching staff, which would be awesome, quite frankly, I think. I think that Joe Staley helped Mike McGlinchey a lot when he was there. There was a ton of stories about how much time they were spending. And certainly McGlinchey played better with Staley there than he has without Joe Staley. I would love to see him on the coaching staff. Apparently he says he's, you know, into the family thing right now, so he's not willing to do it. But would you be stunned if that happened a couple of years from now? I wouldn't be stunned if it happens tomorrow, let alone a couple of years from now. But, you know, I, I would be obviously excited to have Staley back. But honestly, if, he cared at all about my advice, which he doesn't because he doesn't even know I exist. <laughs> I would tell him, no, like you got all the money in the world. Enjoy the time with your family because you don't get that back. And if you go to become a coach, you are back to having no life for nine months of the year. You know, when, during football and off season and all that, like coaches are busy. So he's going to not have a life for those periods of time because coaching as much, I would argue, probably more than the players takes time. You know, coaching, you have to dedicate more time as a coach than you do as a player because the moment the offseason hits, you got draft prep and also, and free agent prep and all those other things. 
in addition to the off-season workouts. You know, the players, once the season's over, they can check out till they have OTAs and things like that, you know? That's true. And and you also have to be available anytime a player wants to work on anything. Like as a coach, if somebody calls you up or texts you and is like, hey, can you meet me here to do this or let's work on this? You can't be like, no. <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a very fast way to get yourself fired. You will be off the coaching staff very, very quickly if you decided to do that. Yeah. So my advice to him is, you know, if you want to coach, get into coaching when your kids are grown. Because even if you can't coach in the NFL because it's so, been so long at that point that you've been out, you know, you don't need the money. Like if coaching, you want to coach, you, you can find a coaching job as a former all pro left tackle. You know, it just might not be in the NFL, but you can't get that family time back and he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need a career anymore. And the final thing I wanted to get to today was a tweet that I had sent out that a lot of people, it was very polarizing. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people hated it and were yelling at me. And my only point with the tweet was just, it was literally something that I had never noticed before. And it was about Colin Kaepernick and Trey Lance and how basically they're the exact same dude from a physical standpoint. They're both 6'4". They're both around 225 pounds. Kaepernick ran a 4'5'3". We don't have an exact time on Lance, but we know it's in the mid 4'5". Some people say 4'5'1", but it's around there. And my point was basically like, we all love Kaepernick's running. Even the people that hated Colin Kaepernick say he was a good running quarterback. Well, we basically have that again when Trey Lance and quite possibly a better passer. Yeah, that, that's not something to be argued. You know, I think physically they are very, very similar. And passing wise, I would argue Kaepernick had the stronger arm. Anybody that wants to argue that, is just being dumb because Kaepernick's arm in terms of strength is right up there with just about anybody. Like he had a ridiculously strong arm. It wasn't very accurate with it at times. You know, his throwing motion was a little weird. So that led to inaccurate throws from time to time. I would argue that Lance has better touch. That's something Kaepernick always struggled with. That used to be what frustrated me when we watched Niner games, when Kaepernick was the quarterback, he would throw a deep ball and he would throw it on a line and the DB would be able to knock it down. Like, okay, you got to put some touch on it and get it, you know, get that nice rainbow throw to get the deep ball. So the DB can't get to it. Kaepernick wasn't very good at that. Lance is. I think that's the difference is Kaepernick has the stronger arm. um, And while Lance still has a strong arm, he, he has a lot more touch than Kaepernick ever had. When Kaepernick threw a pass at the Combine in 2011, it was 59 miles per hour. That was the fastest in the history of the Combine. So that just tells you how good his arm was. Now, it has since been broken, but at that point, it was the fastest anybody had ever thrown at the Combine. So that tells you his arm strength and how good it is. Um, before we go, Levin, I put a poll up on Niners Nation this week about the jer- or the uh, helmets, because I don't know if you saw this, the Niners are considering the red Helmet from 1955 to be their alternate helmet that they wear with the jerseys. Um, A lot of people have weighed in on the poll as I stall to bring it up here. I personally think they should go with the red helmet, but do like a modified version. I think that they should get rid of the oval and just put the white SF on the helmet. Now, maybe you'd have to make it a little bigger to make it look right, but that was my plan. And 44% of the people agreed with that, some sort of modification to the red helmet. 39% wanted to go strictly with the 94 gold helmet 
And only 17% wanted to go with the straight up old school, no logo, 1955 helmet. The Niners have the best helmet in the NFL. Don't f*** with it. Oh, come on. So you don't want an alternate helmet at all? Look, red's my favorite color. I got, I'm buying a red vehicle and I'm trading in a red vehicle. Like getting red is something required by me on a lot of things that I buy. But the Niners helmet is the best helmet in the NFL. Don't f*** with it. It needs to be gold. <sighs> Human wet blanket, Levin Black strikes again. <laughs> All right. Don't, me- don't mess with something that's not broken. That's I'd how you be- get the C- Seattle Seahawks neon crap. <laughs> no, the choices don't have to be do nothing or do the worst uniform in the league. Like, we could find some common ground in the middle, can't we? But if you already have the best, why change? I, I kind of I like that they're at least thinking about it. I hope they do it. Give me the red helmet to wear with the red jerseys. I'm totally fine with that. Let's can we see just a little something different from the Niners when it comes to the jersey logo department? Like to to use the '94 helmet. What's the point? It's too similar to the helmet they have now. Like if you're gonna have an alternate helmet, make it different. I love the logo. I don't want it messed with. I think the lo- the helmets from back in the day that literally had no oval around it and were just the lettering. I think those look goofy. It looks like it's missing something to me. No fun. Levin Black. I'm glad you didn't get to vote in this poll. It is fun because what they have is already perfect. You fear change. That's like, I understand. That's like showing up to a bouncy castle and saying, hey, let's go bungee jumping. And when they say no, you go, you guys are no fun. No, they're still having fun. It's a bouncy castle. It's already great. Don't try and use bouncy castles against me, right? <laughs> bouncy castles are great and no one would ever suggest that they aren't. Well, then there you go. All right. I think I've established bouncy castles equal the current Niners helmet. (laughs) We have the bouncy castle of helmets. I think we have definitely reached the end of the line for this show. Uh, Again, we remind you, please follow the Niners Nation podcast network. Give us a five star rating and a review. Again, if you leave us a question like we answered on last week's show, we are happy to answer it. We do appreciate it. It makes a big difference for us. We are almost there. We are counting down the days to training camp, Levin. We are so close to what is going to be probably the biggest preseason for the 49ers maybe since 2011. I mean, I don't even know. It might go back even further than that. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, you know, I just realized that I think we record a podcast on day one of training camp. Yeah, we do. So we're going to have all kinds of juicy stuff to talk about that that podcast. You better have Jersey on. I want you in like full gear. Yeah. Kyle Posey and Akash, they they get the boring one. <laughs> Talking about everything that's happened. Training camp's about to start tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's how the cookie uh, crumbles, as they say. Uh, Michelle Majuk is off this week, so there's not going to be a traditional stats and mags tomorrow. If you're wondering, I am working on a guest that I really hope comes through. It's not confirmed yet, so I don't want to say who it is, but it would be pretty cool uh, if it comes through. But uh, that's where we stand right now. So if you are looking for stats and mags, you're going to have to wait an extra week. Enjoy it, everybody. If we don't talk, enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you soon.